Well, happy Easter, everyone. So thanks for coming out today, whether you are here on campus or you're watching online. So grateful to have you gathering on this super special Sunday. This is like Super Bowl Sunday in church world. So as we think back to what happened over 2,000 years ago, Jesus did the unthinkable. The unbelievable happened. He rose from the grave, defeating the curse of sin and death that we brought into the world, and we get to celebrate that today. Now, if you are new with us, we are in part two of a series called Messy. And I'm curious, anybody have a messy life at all ever in your life? Okay, looks like about half of us. Um, The other half, we think you're going to have a messy life at some point in the future. Maybe it'll start today. We're not sure. But we all have messy lives. And what we're doing in this series is we're exploring what Jesus does, what God does when our lives get a little messy. And it's amazing to to watch. So I'm glad you're here for that. And today we're actually going to celebrate a messy Easter. So anybody ready for a messy Easter? Okay. I hope you are uh, not going to regret that as we begin today. All right, so I'm going to start with a messy story from my life. And if you come to all of these uh, messages in this series or any of these messages in this series, I am telling a messy story from my life each week. So here we go. So this messy story is really not about me. It's about my son. Uh, My son, is is, uh, his name is Cody, and he's about to be 17. But when he was around two years old, he made a mess. I'm not talking about that kind of mess. Talking about a different kind of mess, but he made, he made a mess and he almost gave my wife a heart attack on that day. So that day, my wife had Cody up in his room upstairs uh, in his crib. He was sleeping. She was downstairs making dinner. So while she's making dinner, she hears something fall down the stairs all the way to the bottom with a loud thud at the bottom of the stairs. So Tammy knows, like, Cody is the only one upstairs. And she has this freak out moment. Like, our son just fell down the stairs. So she runs out of the kitchen. She runs into our living room. And our stairwell comes, comes down the side of our living room, turns into our living room. And before she got to the base of our stairs, this is what she saw on the walls. All the way down the stairs... There was this red substance splattered everywhere. So for those who are on campus, kind of look around our room. So imagine if that's what you saw. Okay, so so you're running to your stairwell after something falls down, and you look around, and that's what you see. So you probably would think like what my wife thought. She stepped into a crime scene. And somehow my son fell down the stairs and exploded all the way down the stairs. (laughs) casting blood all over the wall. So my wife looks at the bottom of the stairs. She's looking for my dead son, can't find him. And so then she hears a giggle, and she looks up the stairs. And there he is at the top of the stairs, standing in his diaper, having a great old time. And he's kind of like saying, hey, mom, what's up? And Tammy's like, I'm having a heart attack right now. That's what's up. I thought you were dead. And here's what happened. So I was painting a mural in my son's room upstairs. And uh, it was kind of a a camping scene, like an outdoor sunset scene with all these different colors. And I had a can of blood red paint up there. 
And somehow my son got out of his crib. He'd not done that before, but somehow that day he thought, I'm going to get out of the crib, got out of the crib, found this can of paint. I have no idea how he got it to the edge of the stairs, but he got it to the edge of the stairs and thought, this is going to be great. I want to see what happens when I roll this down the stairs. So he rolled the paint can down the stairs and it busted open and splattered paint all over the place. So when I got home just a few minutes later, uh, Tammy's still heart is still beating fast and she's got, you know, she's lost a little bit of her breath and she's like, I got to tell you this story. So she was shaken up. Then she shook me up because I left the paint can out. I should have put that away. So I'm standing there after hearing this story. I'm looking at this mess. I'm looking at the paint all over the walls. I'm looking at our carpet, which is now red, blood red. And I'm thinking, this is such a mess. How am I going to clean this up? And I thought, I'll make Cody clean it up. He made the mess, right? Makes sense that he would clean it up. And then my wife said, that's probably not a good idea because he's two years old. So that's probably not going to go real well. So she talked me off of that one. So I'm standing there trying to figure out, how am I going to clean this up? So I thought, OK, well, I can like, wipe the paint down, and then I can paint over the walls. And so I started doing that. That worked out pretty well. I painted over the baseboards, and then that worked out pretty well. But the carpet, the carpet was just a wreck. It had been sitting there for a little while, soaking in. I got my shop vac out, and I did as, you know, the best job I could with a shop vac, trying to get all that cleaned up. Didn't really do a great job. I, I uh, asked a carpet cleaning company to come out, give it a shot didn't quite work real well. So I came up with this idea. I thought, you know, since red paint stained, stained my light-colored carpet, I wonder if white paint would stain it back towards the light color. So if you ever have any home improvement needs at your house, I've got a lot of creative ideas. So. Um, I got the white paint out, and I dabbed it on the carpet, and I rubbed it in, and, and tried to dry it off, and kept looking, and tried a little bit more. And you know, it kind of worked. But if you come to my house, and you stand on our stairs, you might look down and go like, hey, did somebody die here? Like, it looks like you're trying to hide something. Like, like I still see this like pinkish carpet on this light carpet. Like, something's not right. So that was a mess to clean up. And it's still not fully cleaned up. But I told you that story because I want to set up our bottom line thought for today. We're going to come back to parts of that story in just a minute. Now, for each message, we try our best to come up with this bottom line thought, which is the main idea of the message we're trying to communicate that day. And that main idea helps us to chew on it throughout the day. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you know, people get to lunch and, and they'll say like, hey, what did the pastor talk about today? And they're like, I really don't know. There are times I get to lunch and, and somebody say, what'd you talk about today? I'm like, I, I really don't know. So that happens to all of us. So the main idea can help us chew on what we're learning together. Now, this main idea for this series is super simple. It's so simple, we could just pass over it and miss out on how profound it can be for all of us. But here it is, the main idea. Bottom line is God always steps into our messes to clean us up. God always steps into our messes to clean us up. Now, the cool thing about this statement, again, it's simple, but it applies to everyone. It applies to people of faith. It applies to people who are exploring faith. It applies to people who are rejecting faith or skeptical of faith. This statement applies to all of us. It's found in Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5 was written by the Apostle Paul. And I want you to listen to his words. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, he says, When we were utterly helpless, or when we had made a complete mess of our lives and the world, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So when we made a complete mess of the world, when we made a complete mess of our lives, God stepped into that mess to clean us up. He didn't say, you know what, clean up your own mess since you made it. He didn't say that. He stepped out of heaven, came to earth, got on his hands and knees, and began the process of cleaning us up. And he actually laid down his life to make that possible. That's the truth we're going to explore today. To do that, I want to show you how God stepped into our mess through this really big religious term. There's this big religious term that Christianity is built on, and it's called substitutionary atonement. And maybe you've heard of that term before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's a brand new term. But this term is an amazing term. This term is a game changer for all of us. And if you are new to faith or you're kind of exploring this idea of what God could do for your life and how relationship with him could possibly change, maybe a mess that you're in, I think this statement right here, again, can radically change how you interact with God and your perception of what he does when our lives are messy. Whether you fully believe what this means after I explain it, I think you can walk out today knowing what it can do for you personally. And you'll have a decision to make, whether you're going to embrace uh, this truth for yourself or not. So let me give you a basic definition of substitutionary atonement, and then I'm going to show you some examples of it found all throughout Scripture. So well, we're going to break those two words apart. We're going to start with substitutionary, which comes from the word substitute. And substitute basically means a person or a thing taking the place of another person or thing. Like we get that concept, like we've all had substitute teachers. And I'm curious, do we have any substitute teachers here at all? Anybody ever been a substitute teacher before? There's one hand up front. Okay. Um, so let's all together say we're sorry. Like, we are so sorry. Not, not for you, but how we behaved. Like, we've all behaved poorly. We know substitute teachers, like, they get the worst of behavior that we could ever give anybody. So we're sorry. Thanks for sitting on the front row. Okay, the next word is atonement. Atonement basically means payment or fixing something someone else messed up. So we, we kind of get that idea. So if you're atoning for your sins, you're paying for your sins, uh, you have to, to pay for those things that you've done wrong. So we put these two words together, and we get someone paying for or fixing something someone else messed up. So that's the basic definition of substitutionary atonement. And now I want to show you some examples found in Scripture. The first example happened with the first humans and the first mess that we created. So God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden, gave them everything they could ever want, a perfect relationship with him, a perfect relationship with each other, all the food that they could ever eat and enjoy. He had one rule. 
The one rule was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. One rule, not 10 rules, not 613 rules, one rule. We don't know how long it took before they broke that one rule. But one day, Satan came along in the form of a snake, and he deceived Adam and Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. That decision brought the curse of sin and death into the world that we experience to this day. Then they played one of my favorite games, which is hide and blame. So in Genesis chapter three, we actually see this game unfold. Verse eight says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. Actually, God, it was the woman's fault. Like she ate the fruit first. She was deceived first. And you know what, God? You created Eve. So you know what? Like you have some responsibility here too. And then God turned to Eve and said, what have you done? And then watch what she does. She says, uh, the serpent. Yeah, yeah, it was the serpent who deceived me. And you know what, God, who made the serpent? Like you did. So like you kind of have some responsibility here too. So they played the wonderful game of hide and blame. And watch what God did after that. After God disciplined them, like a loving parent would discipline his kids. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve. Now, for years, I have blown past that part of the story and have never slowed down to really consider that. So let's slow down and consider that moment. So after Adam and Eve had sinned, God killed a couple of animals to cover their nakedness to cover their sin. And I don't think that God snapped his fingers and made designer cheetah clothes with matching belts for Adam and Eve in that moment. I think God actually slaughtered and skinned two animals and made Adam and Eve stand there and watch. Now, we are pretty removed from that messy process unless you raise farm animals and uh, you eat those farm animals. Uh, But for most of us, we're removed from that process. Uh, Most of us eat meat that someone else has killed, someone else has skinned, someone else has gotten ready at the grocery store, and they put them in these nice little packages, and it's great, you can pick it up, and it's just, just wonderful, and we think, wow, all meat comes this way, right? It comes in a package. Uh, Somebody else makes it for us at a restaurant. But again, we're pretty removed from the messy process to get to the place where we can eat meat. One of the things that uh, I I love to do, it's a hobby of mine, is to hunt. And uh, I actually hunt deer, hunt turkey. I eat the the deer that I kill. I eat the the turkey that I kill. If I ever kill a turkey, you know, like this year they're hard to kill for some reason. Um, But every time I clean a deer, I'm reminded of this messy process. It's messy. And I can just imagine Adam and Eve standing there watching this, so humbled, confused, 
like shocked, like this innocent animal died to cover their nakedness and cover their sin. Like what did the animal do wrong? Nothing. But it died to cover their sin. That's the first example of substitutionary atonement found in scripture. The second example happened years later when Abraham's descendants, the Jews, the Israelites, ended up in slavery in Egypt. And here's how that story goes. So they end up in slavery. Uh, the, the king of Egypt or the Pharaoh is threatened by them. He puts them in this fierce kind of slavery for over 400 years. I mean, it is miserable for them. They cry out to God for help. God hears them. God sends Moses to go and free them. Moses goes to the Pharaoh and asks nine different times for the Pharaoh to let God's people go. And nine different times, Pharaoh says, no way, you're out of your mind, get out of here. So on the 10th time, God says to Moses, I'm gonna do this. And this time, Pharaoh will let my people go. I'm actually gonna kill the firstborn son of everyone in the land of Egypt. And for the Israelites to escape this death, they had to do this. They had to sacrifice a lamb and then paint that lamb's blood on the doorposts of their home, on the top of the doorpost, on the sides of the doorpost. And God said, if the Israelites will do that, when the death angel comes through that region, he will see that blood and he will pass over that house and leave that family alone. That's where we get the celebration called Passover. On the night that God gave those instructions. Exodus chapter 12, verse 28 says, so the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all firstborn sons in the land of Egypt from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son in the prison, of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of the livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. So imagine the mess of that night. Imagine the mess for the Israelites. Imagine the mess for the Egyptians. For the Israelites, an innocent animal died in place of their firstborn sons. For the Egyptians, all firstborn sons died to pay for Pharaoh's sin and his hard heart. Our third example of substitutionary atonement happens after the Israelites were free. So God uses Moses to free them, and he leads them to the promised land. It is land that we know today as the land of Israel, even though they don't uh, occupy that entire land that God promised to give them. But on the way, God taught them how to live in a right relationship with himself. And he said, here's what you do when you break uh, that relationship. When you do something that hurts our relationship, you sacrifice an animal and I will accept that animal as your payment for your sin so that we could be back in a right relationship with each other. In Leviticus chapter one, verse five, God told Moses to tell the Israelites this. He said, slaughter a young bull, it could be a goat, could be a lamb, in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was their portable temple back in that day. That's where God decided to reside, to meet with his people. 
And verse six says, then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to God. Now imagine what going to church was like back then. It involved slaughtering, it involved skinning, it involved cutting, burning, splattering blood all over the altar before God. Imagine the sights, imagine the sounds, imagine the smells. Imagine your dad saying, don't forget to bring your pet lamb Daisy to church this morning. (laughs) And you going, not Daisy, not Daisy, Daisy won't be coming home. Imagine your mom saying, uh, don't wear white today because, you know, church is going to get a little messy. Being made right with God was a messy process. All Old Testament worship of God centered on substitutionary atonement. An innocent animal would pay the price for people's sins. And the Jews had to do this over and over again because their sins were never washed away. They were just covered, kind of like my red carpet was just covered with white paint. Our fourth example of substitutionary atonement is the most profound one. And it happened with Jesus. So the Israelites practiced this worship and connection with God through substitutionary atonement for thousands of years. Then we get to the New Testament. The New Testament is part of the Bible that's written about the life of Jesus and beyond. In John chapter one, a guy by the name of John the Baptist, he's also known as Jesus' cousin, he said this about Jesus when he's watching Jesus walk towards him. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John had other Jews around him at that time. And as they hear him say this, uh, like they understand what he's talking about. They understand, well, you're talking about substitutionary atonement. But I'm sure there was some mental pushback from these uh, Jews. I'm sure they thought like, John, like like you you must have been eating too many locusts or something because you've got a little bit wrong. Like we sacrifice animals and those animals cover our sins. We don't sacrifice humans. Like Jesus couldn't be a lamb. Like we're not really gonna sacrifice him. And uh, you said he's going to take away our sin. Again, our sins aren't taken away. Our, Our sins are just covered. And that's why we have to do this over and over again. But I think John would have said back to them if he had heard that statement, like Jesus is about to do something so radically different, it will forever change our worship of God. That was at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, about three and a half years later, Jesus gathered his disciples together for what we know as the Last Supper. He introduced communion to them. He washed his disciples' feet. And he said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There is no other way to eternal life except through a personal relationship with me and what I'm about to do for you. And he took some bread broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Then he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup represents the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So imagine Jesus' disciples. 
Imagine what they're thinking. They're used to sacrificing animals to be made right with God. And then Jesus gets into this like, you know, Halloween-ish kind of like creepy conversation about his life being given. Like, Like, what does that mean? Jesus, like, no, no, no. Like, we're used to sacrificing animals. Jesus says, yeah, I'm about to do something so radically different. It'll forever change your interaction with God. A few hours later, Jesus was arrested. He was found guilty of blasphemy against God. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was nailed to a cross. And after all that, the Bible says he was unrecognizable as a human being. It didn't say that he was unrecognizable as Jesus said he was unrecognizable as a human being. So imagine the mess that created. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, I think that is the best movie that comes close, but I don't think it goes far enough. Jesus was tortured. He was whipped. And the whips that they would use had leather strips with broken bones and uh, pieces of metal in them so that when they stuck to your back, they would tear the flesh. So whipping was totally different in the Roman context than what we may understand it to be. It created a complete, utter mess. Then imagine the emotional mess that Jesus' disciples went through after Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, they had left everything to follow him. They thought he was the guy. He was the one who was gonna uh, free them from the Romans and set up his kingdom. They were gonna serve him. They were gonna be a world power again, and then he's gone. They were confused. They were lost. Their lives were a complete mess. They didn't even know what to do next. Maybe... You can identify with Jesus' disciples. And I think when our lives are a mess, we can identify with them in those moments. And maybe today, maybe your life is a mess. You know, maybe your marriage is a mess. Maybe your finances are a mess. Maybe your relationship with a child is a mess. Maybe your relationship with a boss is a mess or a peer is a mess. Maybe your faith is a mess. And maybe you're coming in today just hoping that there'll be something that'll help clean up your life just a little bit today that you hear from the message. But when our lives are a mess, I think we can understand what Jesus' disciples went through in that moment. Like, they were hopeless. There was no hope for the future for them. Now, we have to ask, why weren't Jesus' disciples so happy because Jesus had been their substitutionary atoner? Like, why weren't they happy in that moment? Well, they didn't connect all the dots at that point, and the final work of atonement hadn't been finished yet. So think about this. If all Jesus did for us was die, we would still be stuck in our mess. We'd still be stuck in our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, had not been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. So if Jesus didn't rise from the grave on that first Easter Sunday morning, then our faith is useless. We might as well walk away from faith altogether. We might as well give it up. It's useless. We're stuck in our mess. We'll never get out of our mess. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, he'd be like every other religious leader who said, follow me, then died, and that was the end of the story. But because Jesus did something different, we can follow him. 
and we can have a relationship with him that will last forever. So listen to what one of his disciples wrote in Matthew 28 about that first Easter morning. Verse one says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. Love that statement. And I'm sure in that moment, these two ladies, like their, their minds are like short-circuiting, like, what do you mean he's not here? Like we watched the death and dying process for Jesus. We watched him be whipped. We watched him be crucified. We watched him tortured. We watched all that. We saw a Roman soldier shove a spear in his side, and we watched water pour out. Like we saw all that. We cleaned up his blood. We tended to his body. Like, what do you mean he isn't here? No, he's not here. He is what? He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Ladies, do you remember Jesus talked about this? You remember he talked about laying his life down and picking it up again? You remember that? Like, you probably forgot that, but just as he said would happen, he has risen from the grave. You know what? You don't believe me? Come. Come in and look. Like, look in the tomb. Like, look around. See if you can find him. He's not hiding. He's not here. Now, go and tell his disciples. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. Remember what I've told you. Verse 8 says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them. He greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So the thing that makes substitutionary atonement possible is that Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the curse of sin and death that, that we had brought into the world. And another way to say that is Jesus' death and resurrection cleaned up the mess that we created. He cleaned it up. He didn't just cover our sin again, kind of like you can you know, see red under, under the white paint. He took away our sins as if they never happened. God said in Isaiah 118, he said, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. So how can God do that? How can God take our sin that, that stains our relationship with him? How can he make us clean? He can do that because Jesus became our substitute. He stepped in. He atoned for our sins. He paid for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. So like, like, get the scene. Like every time we have messed up, like we face before Jesus, we face this idea that we have to pay for our sins ourselves. The only way to pay for that is with our lives. So before we laid down our lives, Jesus said, listen, I'll do that for you. You couldn't live a perfect life, but I can and I will, and I will take your sin on me as if I committed those sins, and I will lay my own life down to clean up your life. That's how substitutionary atonement is possible, and it changes everything. 
It makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God that lasts forever and not by offering animal sacrifices every time we sin, but by putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believing in his substitutionary work on the cross. When we do that, God doesn't make us atone for our own sins. He atones for them through what Jesus has done once and for all. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says. Hebrews chapter 10, 10 says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And verse 18 says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So we don't have to offer any more sacrifices, any more animal sacrifices to pay for our sins because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he did that once for all times. That is a messy Easter worth celebrating. Now, that leaves us with a decision. We have a decision to make. Uh, We can keep trying to clean up our messy lives on our own, which is like my two-year-old son trying to clean up the mess that he had created. Or we can let Jesus clean us up by putting our faith in what he did on the cross for us. So our efforts leave us stuck in our mess. But Jesus' efforts clean us up and change us forever. But that's the decision that all of us have to make. On your seat is a card that looks like this. I encourage you to grab that card for just a moment. There should be enough cards around for everyone, but if you need to share a card, you can. And if you're watching online, there's actually a link in the comment section that will lead you to this card. And I encourage you to follow that link for just a minute. There are three options on this card that I would love for you to consider today. The first option says this. It says, my life is a mess and I I need Jesus to help me clean it up. I want to start a personal relationship with him today for the first time in my life. And maybe that that, uh, option represents you. Maybe you've thought about a relationship with God and maybe today's the first time you've actually heard about some of the the mechanics of what God has done for you. And and if that's you and you're willing to say like, hey, I, I need Jesus, I want a relationship with him, then I encourage you during our closing worship song, which will be our communion song, I encourage you to have a conversation with God about that. Listen to John 3.16. John 3.16, most famous Bible verse of all time says this. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who, what's this word? Believes. Everyone who believes. This word doesn't say behaves. Doesn't say everyone who behaves like Jesus will will not perish but have eternal life. It says everyone who believes in him and what he has done and his substitutionary work on the cross. When we believe in that, we will not perish but we will have eternal life. Now, is behavior important? Yeah, behavior is important. Behavior should follow belief. Belief doesn't follow behavior. So we we gotta make sure that we get that right. And if we really believe then our behavior will kind of show that. Like We'll start living in response to what Jesus has done for us. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect. We can't be perfect. But a relationship with God that lasts forever starts with belief in what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So during our communion song, if that's you, tell God that you need him. Tell him your life is a mess. Say, I'm a sinner. I've made a mess. I need you. I need your help. I believe you, Jesus, died to clean up my messy life. 
and I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. If you have that conversation today, the craziest thing will happen. The creator of the universe will step into your life. He'll begin the process of cleaning you up. And scripture actually says a party will break out in heaven in your honor. God throws a huge party. And you may think you've partied before, but you've never partied until you've partied with God. God throws a celebration in heaven in your honor because you've said, my life is a mess. I need you, Jesus. So if that represents you, I encourage you to check that box. Second box says this. My life is a mess again, and I need Jesus to help me clean it up. I'm coming back to him after a season away. And in a group this, this large with as many people watching on, online as we have, I'm sure there's a number of people in that spot that maybe you would say, you know what, like I had a relationship with God, my life was going great, and then whatever happened, maybe you just drifted from God and you recognize that you aren't where you used to be. Maybe something happened, like you're frustrated with God because he didn't do something that you want him to do. Maybe you did something and you feel so guilty about that thing, like you feel ashamed and you don't feel like you can step into a, a relationship with God again. If you're in that spot, God says, come back to me. I will help clean your life up again. I'll step back into your mess. I'll clean it up again. I just need you to say, I'm, in, I'm a mess again. I need you, Jesus. So if you're in that spot, if that represents you, I encourage you to check that box. The last box says, I know someone whose life is a mess, and I commit today to help them understand what God is willing, that God is willing to step into their mess and clean them up. Uh, there are people around us all over the place that have messy lives, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, all over the place. And I actually think that God wants us to step into their mess to help them. I don't think God wants us to get, get lost in their, their mess, get overwhelmed by their mess, to like drown in their mess with them. I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think God wants us to extend a hand to them and help them in that moment when they're like, I'm a mess, I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to turn for help I think God wants us to extend a hand to him. One of the greatest things that we can do for people like that around us is to introduce them to the one who can begin the eternal cleanup process for them, to introduce them to Jesus. So I'm pretty sure you have somebody around you who's got a messy life. Will you commit to step into their world and figure out how to help clean them up? Will you ask God to show you what to do and then will you do that thing? Again, I know that's a messy process, but God steps into our mess, and I think we should step into other people's messes as well to help clean them up. If that box represents you, I encourage you to check that box. Now, let me say something about checking boxes. Can you check a box and it mean nothing for you for all of eternity? Absolutely. You know, if... If uh, you, know, you pass from this life into the next, you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Uh, you can't say, well, on uh, April 17th, 2022, I checked a box at Epic Church. That's not gonna mean anything for you. But if checking a box today represents the de true desire of your heart, checking that box can mean everything for you for all of eternity. So again, I encourage you to check whatever box is significant for your life. And then what I ask you to do is I ask you to bring these cards up with you when we celebrate communion and leave them on our communion tables. So when you do that, our elders will get that, our prayer team will get that, and we'll be praying for you. If you want us to pray for you by name, just write your name on your card. You don't have to write your name on your card. If you want us to pray for you by name, then go ahead and do that. Um, if you want us to pray for a specific thing for you, write a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. We want to pray for everyone who's making a significant step towards God.
today. Now, I'm going to transition and we're going to celebrate communion here in just a minute. So let me explain how we do that and then we'll celebrate that together. Here at Epic, we believe communion should be open to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you've done that at some other point in your life, if you make that decision today, like we invite you to celebrate communion. And if you are watching from home or watching online and, and you have access to some juice or some bread or some crackers, I encourage you to get that ready and I'll finish explaining to our, those on campus how we celebrate communion here. So we have stations set up. We have two stations set up front. We have stations at the back of each seating section. We have a station in our lobby, in our family zone over there. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, you'll be free to move from your seats, to get up and actually move to one of these stations and pick up your communion elements. So your communion elements are found in these the communion cups. And when you come up, bring your card. If you've checked something on that card or just bring a card up and, and leave it in one of our baskets on the table. And then you need to know that these cups have two lids. So each side is a lid that leads to something. Uh, one side leads to the wafer that represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. The other side leads to the juice that represents Christ's blood, which was poured out for us. So when you come up, leave your card, pick up uh, the communion cups, and then either step off to the side or sit back down while our worship team leads through a communion song. Have a conversation with God that's meaningful for you based upon what God was saying to you today from this message. And then when you're ready, during this song, take communion on your own. But by the end of the song, everyone should have taken communion, and we all should be finished with that. So hopefully, all that makes sense. Listen to how Jesus weaves substitutionary atonement into communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Again, Jesus became our substitute. He stepped in to pay for our sins with his perfect life. His death and resur resurrection makes it possible for us to have eternal life in a relationship with God that will last forever. And belief in Jesus is the only way for us to have those things. So let's pray together, and then we're going to celebrate communion. So bow your heads with me. God, I am so incredibly grateful for substitutionary atonement. I'm grateful that, that you, Jesus, didn't say, you know what, they made the mess down on earth. Let them clean that up. I'm so grateful that you, Jesus, said, I will become their substitute. I will step into their place. I will atone for their sins. I'll pay for their sins so that they can have a relationship with God that lasts forever. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for coming to live a perfect life here on this earth, something that we couldn't do. Thank you for laying down your life on our behalf. Thank you for picking your life back up again and resurrecting on that first Easter morning so that we could have a relationship with you that will last forever. 
So today, Lord, we celebrate communion. It reminds us of your death. It reminds us of the messy process that you went through on our behalf. And it also reminds us that one day you are coming back again to get us. And we are so excited about that day. We look forward to that day. So we celebrate today your death and the fact that you're coming again. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God who sacrificed for us. May we sacrifice for you in return. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen. You are now free to get up from your seats and celebrate communion.